Hi, everybody. I'm Margaret. And I'm Adam. And this is the very first episode of the Tree Planters Podcast. wanted to do is we have lots of topics that we discuss various things about communities and environment and building uh, new relationships and so sometimes we felt that the things that we talk about really weren't um, always feasible to discuss in an op-ed. Um, we wanted just really to have another way to kind of share some ideas and to connect with people to help us all kind of uh, work together towards uh, the Simcoe County we, we believe in. A lot of the issues that we deal with are hard to kind of talk about in a short meme or a short Facebook post, and videos are great, but um, we thought this way we'd start a continuous conversation, I guess. And the commute, right, in Simcoe County, we're thinking maybe 20-minute long episodes-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Depends on where you're going, but maybe that that's hitting the sweet spot. So we'll see how it works out. Mm-hmm. It's almost uh, impossible to get anywhere in the county <clears throat> in less than 20 minutes. Like, really. Right. Just even from the north end of Barrie to the south end of Barrie. Right. Right? So that's a good time. It's yeah. A good, it's a good good measure. Why tree planters? That's that's a you question. Because oh. we, I mean, the backstory right. of it is, is that we struggled a little bit. Um, trying to come up with a name that covered what we wanted to talk about, wasn't super formal, kind of jived with our personalities, and um, it was a bit of a struggle. But Adam has this quote, which isn't his, but no. <laughs> you, found, yeah. you, you can't be can't be attributed to you, but you found it or know of it. It's a, a proverb. Um, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a nice idea um, for uh, the type of leadership that we believe uh, is necessary in these times, particularly. And uh, I think doesn't seem to be present, really. I mm-hmm. mean, there's certain examples of it, and uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of thinking more in uh, regard to sort of the typical areas that you would look to for examples of leadership, for instance, political mm-hmm. positions, uh, business even positions, yeah. things like that. But I think, I think you probably agree with me that we actually see examples of that all the time, mm-hmm. but in places you wouldn't typically expect to find it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the tree planters, um, it's not only leadership that we're asking for, you know, those typical places like politicians and business and, and uh, community organizations, but also from ourselves. We feel that what we try to do is, although it's always a work in progress, is to try and say, how can we be forward thinking? How can we put in um, solutions that are community oriented that we may never see the end to? There, I have a, a friend named Jeff. Some of you may know he's uh, 
the head caretaker at Springwater Park. And a while ago, he said to me, um, you know, I never start a project knowing the, knowing that I'll see the end of it. And he says, you'll have to get used to that idea that you're never going to see the end of your goals. And I thought, well, that's just ridiculous. I mean, I set up a goal like by March, I'm going to have this stuff. Not that I do it all the time, but there is that element of, you know, when you start something, there's a finality to it. And so making this connection now is the idea that you put a ripple in the pond and you may never actually see the end the total end result, if there is such a thing as a total end result. So um, I'm thinking about the tree planters in that kind of way, is that we start something. We start an initiative in our own communities, in our own families, in our own social networks, um, try and bring people into that idea that we can start something we never may see the completion of, but future generations will reap the benefits of. Sort of the idea behind the name yeah, I'm not a tree planter by trade, nor no. have I ever been. I know no. lots of people that tree planted in university and college to kind well, of get through in the summers, but that wasn't that wasn't me. Right, actually, and that brings up another point about the name. Um, so initially, mm-hmm. we came across that uh, with um, the cancellation of the program, mm-hmm. which now is you know given been given a little bit of life support for another year or so. But the program was for. Uh, 50 million trees to be planted in Ontario. Yeah. And there's been a lot of discussion lately also about how that can play a major role in fighting climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was a d- decision that was obviously pretty disappointing to us because it makes a lot of sense, not just because of climate change, but also because of the work that we do with the Green Belt. We know yeah. that, you know, that forest cover is or natural heritage cover if you will is uh, is a really key if you want to get all swanky with the labels yeah yeah <laughs> um but that that's you know so that there's that dovetail as well it's not just a cool proverb uh that gets you thinking about things slightly differently but there's also sort of a real um basis for, mm-hmm. for why we need to plant more trees yeah absolutely and actually now that i'm thinking more about this tree planter thing um there is a proverb, which I don't remember the timeline, but it's like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, was it? Mm. I can't remember the, the, that timeline, but then the next second best time is now, right? It's that mm-hmm. whole idea of, yeah, we have all these things that we should have done, could have done, would have done if we were more uh, aware of their, their repercussions. Um, but now we have a different situation. So now the next best time is to do something right now, mm-hmm. whether that be politically or in your community or with a network. Because um, as we both are uh, parents of young boys, um, not that boys really matters, but that we're both parents thinking of boys roughly the same age and um, about climate change and about what communities are going to be like in the future, what our democracy is going to be like in the future. Um, you know, it's, it's the perfect time to be tree planting for their benefit. Okay, so we should talk a little bit about Simcoe County Green Belt Coalition, uh-huh. how it started, what we're doing. You want to take that? Sure. Um, So the coalition started with a group of of organizations from across the county. Some were naturalists, some were farmers, some were ratepayers, some were just regular concerned citizen groups. And um, what we had started off with was recognizing that in Simcoe County we're blessed with a large amount of fresh water, both above ground and, and groundwater as well. Uh, you know, we've got some of the, the Ontario's largest municipal forest uh, system. We've got amazing internationally significant wetlands and all kinds of wonderful natural features and farmland as well. And all of that's intertwined into our economy, into uh, the quality of life that we share. 
And so we wanted to figure out a way to make those things more permanently protected to one, protect our economy, but two, to make our communities healthier um, and preserve those green spaces and blue spaces that we all know and love. And that's where the green belt came in because as far as a policy goes um, provincially, it is tested. It's been around for 10 years. It's effective. Um, and it's one of the most stringent uh, land use policies that we have. So that may sound boring, but at the end, what we're trying to say is those places in Simcoe County that we really care about need to be better protected. And um, the green belt we see is, is a good first start in all of those things. So someone listening out there might ask a couple questions. So okay. what are those places that we care about? Uh, well, you might have your and own why. list. And <laughs> why? Yeah, it's true. We each have our own list, I would say. Um, but I think a lot of people that live in Simcoe County would talk about our beaches and shorelines. Uh, talking about Lake Simcoe, they might know about the Nottawasaga River. They might know about the Alliston Aquifer or the Oral Moraine or uh, the you know Collingwood and some of the more um, mountainous parts of our areas. Um, they might know about Match Dash Bay or Y Marsh or Tiny Marsh or uh, some of the farmland that's just down the road from them. Those are the kind of places. I mean, everybody's going to have their own version of it, right? Like, I really like the forest across from my house. It's mm. not. <laughs> so that's a place that I would like, and I'm sure that there's you have your own with your family that you've built memories. Mm-hmm. And then the other is, uh, you mentioned healthy communities. So mm. what, what does that mean? How come I'm answering all the questions here? Like, you're just as much of the expert. Jeez, I have least. the headphones on. <laughs> Next time, folks, I will be wearing the headphones. <laughs> um, well, as we've kind of evolved, because we've been around since the end of 2015, and so now we're coming up to three and a half years, which is mm-hmm. really a crazy journey, if you think about it. It just started with a bunch of people that all shared a common value and concern. But anyways, as we've um, evolved and thought about what health communities mean, in the meantime, there's been more evidence coming out about, you know, the effects of air pollution, about the effects of climate change, about how we build our communities affects long-term health of the people that live there, um, about the importance of urban trees, uh, local food, um, making fair and equitable communities. So... Some people might just see a healthy community as well. Everybody, you know, has good health. And I think that there's a lot of contributing factors into that. So we try to talk about all those things that contribute into good health. And those, those aren't always evident of, you know, clean air. It's, it's actually a lot more than that. Right. And we'll be getting into all of these topics. Uh, yeah. sort of <laughs> there's on there's no own. test here, folks. Right. And, and, um, and covering them in more detail uh, or more depth uh, later on. But uh, for me, like one of the things with healthy... So I'm sort of in prototypical suburbia, South End Barry. Um, I love it. It's beautiful. Uh, you know, feels like a really safe community. We walk. The kids are able to walk to school. <clears throat> but you need a car. You can't really get what you need. You can't get the, the basic necessities of life without getting in your car and going and driving for five or ten minutes. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that that's, I think, should be thought of as a cost, uh, related to living here. So uh, for me, I think part of that healthy community, community uh, idea is is also um, getting people out of their cars, getting them walking, bicycling safely, right? A lot mm-hmm. Most people don't bike now because they don't feel safe doing it. But all those things then in terms of uh, health, um, you know, you're 
physiologically actually sort of enabling people to be healthier, have healthier bodies, um, have healthier, more active lifestyle, and that's uh, reducing the, the cost that we have to pay in our tax dollars for our healthcare system, which is what um, yeah we've discovered over the last few years is known as a co-benefit. Yeah, exactly. And it, my experience is a little different because I'm up in Springwater, and um, I live in kind of more rural suburb, if you will, but surrounded by walking trails and forests. And so, yes, we're very car dependent, but also because there is access to nature, there's a lot of activity within our suburb. So going on the trails behind my house, you'll run into at least half a dozen people. They're either biking or in the winter they're um, snowshoeing or cross-country skiing or just walking. So there's, it's a really interesting um, thing that when nature is available, people want to use it, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's also plays into that. There's a car dependency for sure that has to be addressed, but also providing access to nature because that is going to mm-hmm. get people out and involved and into their healthy communities, right? And make their community more healthy, I would say. I think that gets to one of the questions we're asked often is, mm. so what does the green belt have to do with, mm. like people think of the green belt as sort of being outside of urban areas. Right. So what is that, you know, that Simcoe County green belt coalition, what does the green belt have to do with uh, sort of planning urban, urban planning? Huh. Well, I don't think anybody wants me to go into full policy wonk mode here. Um, but to Adam's point, I mean, the green belt was set up, uh, over 10 years ago and covered around mostly Niagara Scarpman and Oak Ridge's Moraine. And um, everybody has this assumption that the Greenbelt covers the most precious farmland, the most precious green spaces, wetlands, that, that the most valuable ones are the ones that are protected. And frankly, although there are very valuable ecosystems within the Greenbelt, not all of the ones that are important to Ontario are in it. And Simcoe County happens to be one of those places where some of our more important, ecologically sensitive, ecologically important places are unprotected by the Greenbelt. And the relationship between that and growth, so the Greenbelt would, at least how we see it, would form like a shield, uh, stopping very hazardous or detrimental activities such as urban sprawl from kind of replacing those places. Because what the Greenbelt says... Okay, we're going to pause here. I coughed pretty loudly in our first take, which you can hear here. (coughs) And actually, now is not a bad time to send it to a promo. If you like what you hear and you want to support the Simcoe County Greenbelt Coalition, visit SimcoeCountyGreenbelt.ca and click on Become a Supporter. If you're familiar at all with Patreon, we're doing something similar here, so those who sign up to support on a monthly basis receive access to behind-the-scenes clips, podcast minis, uh, shout-outs on podcast episodes, as well as access to ride-alongs on some podcast recordings. Okay, so let's pick up where we left off. Before I coughed, I'd asked Margaret about how the green belt fits with urban planning. The green belt was was established over ten years ago. So this is this is a little bit of a 
of a tangent, but it does get back to the point eventually. Um, so the green belt, just for a little bit of history, was um, put in place over 10 years ago. <clears throat> and one of the misconceptions that people have of the green belt is that um, it protects the most important places in Ontario. And yes, in fact, it has lots of uh, valuable farmland. The Oak Ridge's Moraine, the Niagara Scarpment are all within the um, within the green belt. And so there's no one's arguing that there are important things that are already contained within it, but not all of the most valuable, most sensitive places are included. And Simcoe County has a wealth of the best farmland in Ontario and Canada, in fact. It has uh, international the wetlands, has all those things that are, compared to the Greenbelt, left almost completely vulnerable. Uh, one of the things that the Greenbelt does really well is it has policies in place that says, you know, urban sprawl can't go into these areas. And I think anybody that lives in Simcoe County or has driven through Simcoe County says, like, holy cow, like, there goes that farm field. Oh, there's another engineering design. There's, mm. you know, sign there's going to be something else coming down the road. So the Greenbelt actually works with urban development because, you know, if you were to say, I have kids, Adam has kids, and there's like those no-go zones, you know, you guys can play in this room, but don't touch the china at the top of the cabinet, right? There's certain parts where you say, okay, this is the part where we're going to play, and we're going to work, and we're going to live, and these are the parts that... Um, are, are more pristine and should be kind of kept that way. So the green belt would actually, how we see it in Simcoe County, is go over some of those more sensitive, more valuable um, areas. And because those are considered places where growth can't go, that then forces growth to go in places where jobs are, where infrastructure is, where you can start putting people in places so they don't have to commute because, you know, you can hopefully build a stronger local economy versus trying to build all these new roads out in the middle of nowhere through wetlands, over forests, you know, destroying shorelines, that sort of thing. So, I don't know, I hope that maybe that was clear. Yeah, and uh, that sort of gets to a point that we often make, which is the cost-effectiveness of good planning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're not sprawling outward, you're not building all of those roads, um, and ultimately you're not having to pay the additional cost to maintain those roads right. uh, far into the future, which in, impacts everybody's, uh, mm -hmm. you know... Yeah, it's about sustainability on a, on, a, on a number of fronts, right? There's obviously an environmental sustainability issue, but there's a social sustainability and a financial sustainability that comes with growing in ways that protect places we love and need to stay healthy, whether it be to combat climate change or to provide access to nature or purify our water and air, and then um, growing in places where we've already made investments in roads and bridges and things and reusing that or maximizing that investment versus spreading it out. I mean, anybody that runs a household budget kind of knows, like, you know, you can only, if you keep spreading your money over all these different budgets, then um, you can kind of run out, where if you kind of focus on what you can put money towards, it makes it a little bit easier, right? And that's kind of what that does. So it's a strategic thing, basically. You're looking at what you want to, what what can be best used mm -hmm. in, in a particular way, given its unique qualities or characteristics, and you're making sure that it's used for those things. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a way of, of kind of drawing a line in the sand, if you will, um, to say... These places are good as they are. They need to be maybe even like forests with the tree cutting thing that's been happening lately. There's a lot of discussion about um, with the Ford government canceling the tree planting program. 
And so the forest cover that's being lost in southern Ontario is quite massive. Um, but the discussion is is that the forests that we have probably need more rehabilitation than what we're doing, mm-hmm. let alone cutting it down. So, um, you know, making investments into those places is inexpensive, right? Mm-hmm. Compared to making investments into building new communities. And so, you know, forests and like you're saying, forests and wetlands and those sort of things actually help us. They, they provide economic value. Mm-hmm. And whether you know it or not, you know, flooding in an area um, gets worse the more green space you take out. I mean, it's it's been shown by the University of Waterloo that when you take out those places, the the flooding damage and, and the cost to homeowners just gets worse, and municipalities as well. So we think it's a very kind of pragmatic uh, vision about Simcoe County saying, what's so hard about taking out the places that we know that we all love and need and saying no to this? Like, mm-hmm. yes, we can grow in these places. Yes, we can provide housing and we can provide it better and make sure it's more affordable but we don't have to do it everywhere, right? Some places just aren't appropriate. And that's kind of what the vision of what we're trying to do here. Right. And and that affordability question is a big one too. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's been a lot of talk and this is talk that we've often tried to counter is that, uh, you know, with the increasing housing prices to make things more affordable, you need to build more. So you're increasing the supply mm-hmm. <clears throat> the market will do its work to drive down the prices. Um, what, what do you think about that argument? <laughs> <laughs> How long do we have in our 20 minutes, Adam? Um, I think that uh, for sure that there's people that are being priced out of the market in Barry. People that, you know, as we can see in Smoke County, a lot of people are moving up from Toronto because their housing uh, market is just unaffordable. Um, so I think we have an opportunity here to do the right thing, um, to make housing more affordable to people that are starting out, um, low-income uh, people that are, you know, new recent immigrants or ones that are just kind of down on their luck. I think uh, having a safe, reliable housing, whether it's rented or owned, is mm-hmm. should be something that we can agree on. is is a, is a good ethic to move towards. Um, but the problem comes if you just housing isn't as simple as just supply and demand. And so if you just continue to provide what we've always provided, it won't fix the problems that are coming up that we weren't really anticipating before. So without getting too hot into it, because I think we could do a whole podcast on... And I think we probably will. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> housing when, affordability. Yeah. I mean, that is one of those things that we want to make sure that we're providing houses and housing to people that need it, whether it be rental, right? There's a, there's a shortage in the rental market. We understand that. We understand that there's a shortage in... Um, low-income housing or, or housing for people that are underemployed. We get that. Um, but providing housing that's going to be going for $500,000, $600,000 does not address any of those needs. So we need to have an honest conversation about who are we trying to provide housing for? Are we providing it for benefit for developers or are we providing housing for people? Right. And there's also, so one of the, there's two metrics that are used to determine housing affordability. One is the, the actual cost of the house and the other is the cost of living associated with that house. Right. And I think that, that, that's sort of dovetails with many of our arguments around planning our communities better and not sort of building up sprawl, um, is, uh, the housing affordability calculation really should be focusing on how much it costs to live there Mm -hmm. rather than simply how much it costs to buy a house. Because for instance, 
if you have to use a vehicle to get everywhere, uh, you know, a vehicle transportation costs are the second biggest cost that that people have in Canada, next only to uh, purchasing a house or to to the home, mm-hmm. putting a roof over their heads. You know, so if you're if people are able to, rather than that, if they're able to take mass transit or if they're able to walk or bike to to get where they need to go. That's a huge amount of money that uh, mm-hmm. is put directly back in their pockets. Well, plus too, like another cost that doesn't get factored in is uh, with with commuting or you know extending your workday because you're traveling a right. decent amount. I know I know people that have uh, friends of mine that have before care and after care for child yeah. care. They're spending two thousand dollars a month um, yeah, to crazy. get to you know even though their kids are school age, they can't leave early enough and can't get back on time to not be able to rely on things dropping off their kids at like six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, right? And picking them up at six o'clock at night. Not no judgment about about parenting, but just the reality what of what that to does do. to yeah. the finances of how that um, impacts your family. So you know, these are all the, it's not an easy, you know, our name maybe sounds really simple, Greenbelt Coalition, but there's a lot of arguments um, behind why we encourage the things that we do. And it's not a silver bullet. It won't fix everything, but it's a really, really good start at at least putting us on the right track. Right. And with that, really, we're, we're pretty much at our 20 minute mark here. God, and, we uh, should like, just, just do like 10 of them. Today. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, what about uh, some upcoming topics? I would like to... Okay, one of the things I would like to talk about um, is the starting out as far as you've got a problem in your community. You've got Mm. a problem maybe at a provincial level or a municipal level or a federal level. There's something going on that you're not happy about. How do you start? Like, how do you take it from I've never done anything like this before to feeling like you're empowered and you can get involved because that was something that I went through at some point. I'm sure you went through it at some point. Now we're like old hat at this, but, um, well, not quite old. We're younger hat. Mm. (laughs) Um, but that's something I think that we get confronted with sometimes. Um, people that want to make a difference, they see things that aren't making them happy. And how do you, what's that transition like? And what are some kind of things that they can do? Which is a really nice segue to something that we've just started doing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, community teams. We've reached out to our supporter base, yeah. asking people pretty much if they, if they want to get, uh, become part of a, a, a team in their community and we're going to do what we can to support them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Sure. So you can find that information on our website, simcoecountygreenbelt.ca, and stay tuned for our next episode.